welcome to TTB Community. I am Bob Domena, and here with me, as always, is the incredibly warm-hearted Elliot Shipley. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome. So every week, we like to bring you insight from authors, travelers, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and information on our very own personal travel experiences. And this week, we have Tom Turek, who left his home in New Jersey on April 2nd, 2015, to embark on a five-year, which was his plan at the time, but is now much longer, trek across all of the continents. And over the last several years, he's walked more than 20,000 miles and more than 30 countries. And he has a dream of walking around the world. And today, we talked to him about that experience and talked to him why he did it. So... The conversation was incredible. We'll get into that later, but the travel tip of the week is to keep a backup credit card in a secondary location in your bag and leave it at the hotel in case something gets stolen. And before we get into the conversation, check out some of the cool things we offer. The Traveler's Blueprint offers a travel journal and planner that is available for $7.99 on our website. It is a PDF, so you can fill it out online or in paper, and it is completely reusable. We also offer a Become Your Own Travel Agent five-part video tutorial. Part one is navigation, two is booking airfare, three blogs, research, and reviews, four itinerary building, and five safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. You can find that on our website, and it is $25. We also offer travel consulting. So for more information on that, go to our website and feel free to send us a DM on social media or an email. Lastly, you can join us. And if you want to, you can you can be a part of our Travel Around Table series. That's where we sit down with a group of, of travelers, send us your email with your name, your website, and a few travel-related topics that you enjoy discussing, and we will get back to you. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Tom, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Um, or thanks for having me. And uh, Savannah's not here, but thanks for having me. And <laughs> Absolutely, man. So so there's, there's a funny thing before we even get into it. We're essentially both from New Jersey, and we only grew up maybe, what, 45 minutes away? Yeah. So... Yeah, pretty pretty funny. You're not too far away from where I where I where I'm located right now. This is the second time this has happened in three years in the podcast. Uh, yeah. We had a woman on maybe two years ago who ended up being from Cherry Hill. Tom, um, yeah. So maybe after the show, I can connect you with her. She might be a good contact to have as you continue traveling around the world. Uh, so today we have a really fun conversation to talk about. It's essentially your experience walking around the world with your dog Savannah. Uh, briefly, I, I'd rather you explain it, but briefly give us just the general idea of what this walk is about, when you got started, and who you're doing it with. Yeah, so the quick rundown is I had a friend who passed away when I was 17. She was 16, and it was a very formative moment. It kind of exposed me to my own mortality, and when I thought about death and how it affected the short time I have here, I thought about, again, what do I want to do with this limited window that I have before death comes? And at the time, I didn't have any money, and I didn't want to travel, so I like was searching for cheap ways to travel, and I discovered Carl Bushby, this British paratrooper, and Steve Newman, this uh, Ohioan, um, both of whom had walked around the world, 
And for whatever reason that just stuck in my head, it seemed to kind of solve everything that I wanted out of life, uh, which was adventure, uh, to explore myself, um, to explore the world and to see as much of the world in as true a way as possible. So not just going to Machu Picchu or the Eiffel Tower or to Istanbul, but really seeing what the world is like and being able to get a good grasp in my head of how people are living around the world. And so uh, initially I planned about five years worth of walking about 25,000 miles and this route would hit every continent and I'm pretty near the end of it. Uh, it's been seven years delayed for the pandemic. And then I was delayed after finishing South America, I got a parasite or bacteria infection and was laid up for almost a year with that. And, uh, but now I'm nearly at the end of it. I'm about four or five months away from finishing this seven year journey. And I've every, I've hit every continent that I wanted to, or every continent, except for Australia, because it's closed due to, due to COVID. But I saw pretty much everything I wanted to see. And uh, at this point, I, I have had my fill of uh, adventure for at least for uh, a beat or two. All right. Well, fascinating. And let's talk about your partner, because you started this solo, right? Correct. Yeah, I started this by myself. And after four months of walking, I got into Texas. And I, just camping on my own every night was the sort of impetus to getting a dog or at least thinking about getting a dog because I'd wake up in the middle of the night you know every night when I'm camping just thinking I'm hearing something and unless I have a really good hiding spot you're just it's just going to happen you're just going to wake up and be listening and it just makes for not quite restful sleeps and then I also met this very strange creepy man in Georgia who I was thinking if I had a dog with me, I wouldn't be in this situation. They would have sent something or, you know, just would have been a whole different situation. And so by the time I got to Texas, after about four months of walking, I was staying with my cousins and I decided I would just go into an adoption center, see what the dogs are like. Maybe it wasn't a fully formed thought, honestly. I, was, I had the interest, spent about two hours there, didn't see any dogs that I was really connecting with, was about to leave. And then they brought out these two puppies that they had found on the side of the highway. And I just kind of knew pretty quickly that a puppy who I ended up adopting, her name was Lulu, now Savannah, uh, would be perfect because she would grow up on the road and this would kind of be the only life she knew. And, uh, and she's, she will soon be the first dog to walk around the world, which is pretty sick. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) She's probably stoked about that. (laughs) That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Um, so something I, I want to go back to, you, you discussed how you came to the idea, um, but a lot of people have ideas like this, right? A lot of people say, I want to do this. I want to do that. But what if this happens? But what if that happens? You didn't have that, obviously. So, or, or maybe you did and you overcame it. So can you take us through, like, I guess the moments right before it became like an, you were doing it, like you knew you were going to act on this thought. I mean, I knew I was going to act on it right away. I just decided. Uh, I'm. I think it's a lot of it is maybe my personality as well, where I don't really settle on a lot of things. But if I do settle on something, if I decide something, it's 
it's, it's I become very stubborn and uh, it's hard to break me from that path uh, because probably I've thought about you know, many different options and I go, okay, this is the best one. And now it's, you follow it or you don't follow it kind of thing. And so just in when I was 17 uh, that year, I was a senior in high school and I'd come to the idea, maybe uh, it was in, in autumn or so. And then I remember I had the speech and communications class and we had to give a speech and I gave mine on how I was going to walk around the world. And at that point, it was almost like this, like, I'm going to do this, like, kind of high school bravado kind of thing where yeah. if you don't believe me, like, you'll see. Kind of thing. But it's also an insane thing to say. But I remember for me, it's like, if I'm saying something aloud, then it really is, I have to do it. And uh, so I think a lot of it is my personality. Uh, but it did come to a point after college when there was more of, a split in the road uh, where I I've been dating this girl for a few years and we were pretty serious about each other. And I sort of realized that when she graduated, I was either going to have to move in with her or um, do the walk. And, and if I moved in with her just by default, because you just build up the slow accumulation of responsibilities and, and maybe debts and whatever it is that ends up being this baggage. And it would be different if I was, say, in med school or doing a PhD program where I could be in one place and, or maybe just in the country and move around and you would have these certain um, baggages with you uh, and you could still have someone. Uh, but for the, for the world walk, it's, I really had to cut ties with everything. And that, you know, kind of in a certain way, including my family, it's not to say that I don't call them or anything, but I had to be ready to leave them for five years. And so it came to this point where I had to either be with her and, and build up these responsibilities and then think maybe, who knows, when I'm 50, maybe I'll be able to walk, uh, who knows, just thinking about it pragmatically, or do I end things with her and then and start walking? And I knew, or at least thought that if I stayed with her, I'm just not one, I, I don't know if I could do like a nine to five. Uh, I it would be very difficult uh, for me. I mean, I've done it. I, I worked all through college and after college, uh, but I, I thinking of doing that for, you know, a couple of decades um, would, I think, really wear on me. And so I feared that I would end up resenting her and having this bitterness towards her uh, if I didn't do this thing. And so that's when it became real. And, and then I, I really had to make a choice. So I'd say after ending things with her, then it became absolute words. Really, there's no turning back. And and there hasn't been. So you started this, obviously not right after high school, uh, but in April of 2015. And Correct. Yeah. Did you start it in? Okay. So you started in um, New York? I started in New Jersey. started just... in New Jersey uh, in your home hometown. And did you just like walk out of your front door and like hit yeah. the road? Like, bye. Exactly. <laughs> and you just walked down your driveway into the street you grew up on. And took that all the way around the world. Yeah, I turned around <laughs> after I had this little crowd of neighbors there, and I said, I'll see you in five years. And then they drove <laughs> off in their cars and drove right past me. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. well, so my question is, so I know you had done a little bit of work in college, done a little bit of work after college. Um, doing this walk, obviously, you're not able to, to make money while you're doing it because you're focused on the journey itself. But you were able to get two sponsors. Was this 
before you even started the walk or did the sponsors come on after you had started? Now, this is before. I was very fortunate. I, I'm not much of a uh, self-salesman and I was fortunate enough to meet this kind of man about town. He owns a baker space in the town over from me. This guy, Tom Marchetti, owns this place called the, called the factory and he's very gregarious. And I just went over to this, the factory to see if someone could modify this cart so I could just like strap it to my belt. And I ended up meeting Tom, who was the owner of the place. And he loved this idea that I had. I told him what I was, you know, wanted this modified for. He loved the idea. And he ended up, I didn't realize it, but he was a like best friends with kind of this, the family that is also like my best friend. They're, they spent a couple of generations. There's like four kids and I was friends with. So we're, we're very close and tied together in a certain way and in the same town. And so he took it on himself almost to promote me and he got me a bunch of interviews and uh, and got me in the newspaper and uh, so there was I was in the, the Philly Inquirer and um, the Courier Post and so it's like pretty big uh, newspapers and you know the, the main thread at the time and still is was um, my friend Anne-Marie dying and so the the main my main sponsor Philadelphia Sign the owner, Bob Mehmet, uh, knows uh, Emory's family, a new Emory. And they just so happen to be opening up like an international <clears throat> branch. And so it's really just like such a stroke of luck that all these things kind of um, came together. Um, I think probably for the most part, uh, I, well, I think uh, this is maybe more of like a, a philosophical branch to go off of, but uh, you, you sort of have to be willing to go without that and just like hope you know, to build the plane as you go down kind of thing. And so I had money saved up that I thought would last me about two years. And I think this is the case for most people. If you really want to go and travel, you, especially if you're not from, you know, a wealthy background, or if you don't have a trust fund or anything of like that, which I think is probably a majority of the travelers, at least all of the interesting travelers, uh, <laughs> they have to be willing or you have to be willing to go and just live on rice and beans and peanut butter. And I was entirely willing to do that because you want the adventure. Um, and, but to kind of connect with Philadelphia Sign and Bob and they give me a bit of money, basically just like a paycheck and they donate money into Embry Scholarship Fund for every mile I walk. And so um, it really kind of gave me that security to see this thing through. And the plan was initially walk these two years and hope I got a sponsor, but for it to happen before I even began was just, I mean, I get just like, so, so lucky. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you were able to get that because it seems like it, it really allowed your trip to flourish and yeah. you're able to focus on the trip, focus on the walking, get Savannah and then make your way through. I mean, so Right, yeah, to, so I, you're you're at eighteen thousand miles now. Or are you over that? Oh uh, yeah, well over that. Um, yeah, I'm at probably. I think uh, I'm probably, I'm over twenty five. Savannah, I guess, is at like uh, twenty two and a half around. Okay. So can we can we just maybe set the the geographic uh, route, the foundation for this trip, so everybody listening can have an idea of the route that you took, and then I kind of want to take deep dives at the different of this experience and very quickly if, if you're listening to this and you're capable of using a computer definitely check out the worldwalk.com slash infographic 
it has the entire trip laid out beautifully. And we're probably going to be following that for parts of this conversation. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so the initial route um, in, a, in a broad sense, the, there's a couple of things, uh, factors that went into the way I planned it. The, the main was, was basically I just wanted to hit every continent. And so I figured out how, how do I do this walking? Um, the second thing was how do you do that with as little visa trouble as possible? And luckily as an American, you have a very strong passport. So you have a lot of options. So the first two years, it was from New Jersey uh, down to Panama City, flying between Panama City and Bogota, Colombia, and then Bogota down to Uruguay, and then boat to Antarctica and touch Antarctica. I didn't, that's a whole other expedition walking to South Pole. I know you guys have talked to a South Pole explorer. That's a whole other expedition. Yes. <laughs> couldn't do in the middle of this <laughs> don't know if i want to <laughs> it's like to me to me going to the south pole is like hiking everest uh you can be as fit as you want but it's still up to the environment whether or not it's going to kill you oh totally <laughs> yeah there's bigger forces at play yeah yeah uh so then uh south america i flew um into uh ireland basically i did iceland and then ireland scotland wales um england well at, Ireland, Scotland, then I got very sick. And then I picked back up in Denmark and then walked Denmark down to Spain and then across North Africa, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, up Italy, and then into you know, following the Mediterranean into Turkey and then across Turkey into Georgia, Azerbaijan, the Caucasus. And then from there, that's when I got caught in sort of the, the pandemic and things closed down. And I was able to walk, uh, initially the plan was to walk all the way up to uh, Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia uh, from Azerbaijan. The thing about that part of the world, though, is that you can only, especially walking, I could only do that in like a pretty small window. I had to leave, uh, would have to leave at the beginning of March to have enough time to get up there before it's just frozen over. Um, and with the pandemic and just look like it's never going to open up again, I was able to like basically buy a year i went back to turkey and walked some months there and so this past summer kazakhstan was still closed uh, mongolia was closed so i was able to fly into uzbekistan walk uzbekistan for a bit and then walk kyrgyzstan for about two months uh, and then after that the plan was to walk australia that's closed so uh, come back home and and uh, finish it from seattle uh, back to new jersey all right. Wow. That's that's that. So that was that was your planned route. So you didn't go uh, like a few weeks at a time and then just say, all right, now I'm going here. This was planned out from the very beginning how you wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It was planned out, planned out from the beginning. And, and really, it was almost, it was emerging also of the, these two, Carl Bushby and Steve Newman, these two world walkers before I kind of looked at their routes and sort of combined them. And um there's the, the one frustrate i mean obviously the pandemic has been frustrating because i really want to do kazakhstan and mongolia uh and it was, maybe i'll go back to mongolia another time but the other part of the world that i, I didn't get to see any sub-saharan africa which i really wanted to see but there's a lot of problems if you're going to walk that because there's only a couple routes you could take and then also the visas are you need visas for a lot of those countries even as an american uh so it's just uh just was it and it would take like two years to walk down africa it's just untenable i don't know anybody that's actually walked sub-sahara africa there's one I, guy I, um 
Oh, what is his name? Yeah, there's a guy who did it. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, yeah. Well, there's he's also a, a route from South Africa all the way up to like northeastern Russia. Yeah. Is, it's the longest road in the world. No, oh, yeah. I've seen that in like a meme. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I, I, Tom, one of our past guests was Ash Dykes, and I guess he gets that question a lot because he's kind of an extreme adventurer where he'll put himself in he's done like hikes through Mongolia, through the Sahara, through Madagascar. But I guess he gets a lot of comments from his viewers and followers to go from that South Africa to Northeast Russia. And he's like, it's all rude. That's not that exciting. Yeah. 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 It wouldn't, it wouldn't be. And it's just flat and bland, but yeah, we would have been part of it. (laughs) Sometimes you walk beautiful area. Kyrgyzstan was incredible. No roads. And other parts you were on the road and that's the way it goes. Yeah, it's fascinating. So the world walk. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get to every country. I'd love to. I'd love to just go through each country on this infographic <laughs> and talk to you about them. I know um, there are definitely some highlights, and that's what I want to get to. So, Tom, in your your personal favorites, your and and that could be in regards to an experience with a person, a natural environment, uh, a dish, just. We're curious. What were some of your favorite aspects of this trip? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a big question. <laughs> yeah, right. There's right. a lot in there. Right. Bob, what are the last? What are your favorite things of the last seven years? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like a, it's a, what is it? The uh, the pageant, the Miss America question. That's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, but no, there, there's. It's interesting thinking back on on the walk in total because the first two years were for sure the most transformative because they're I'm figuring things out. And and then after those two years, also the first two years was Central and South America, probably the most wild sections of the world. I mean, Central America is very dangerous, uh, just kind of by its geography. And then uh, South America, I was in the desert for months at a time and in the Andes. And uh, so that was probably the most formative, like looking back on it. So I think a lot of my like highlights are kind of weighted towards Central yeah. and South America. Right. And, and again, I think looking back, probably like the main highlight that I always talk about is uh, the desert when I was walking in the deserts, uh, Peru and Chile. And so I descended down from the Andes in Ecuador after walking the Andes basically for months in Colombia, in Ecuador. And I was just done with that. I couldn't, I couldn't walk anywhere mountains. So it was just, exhausting pushing my cart up and down you know over and over again every day I was like all right I'm going to descend into the desert and and following the coast of Peru and Chile for about five months and often going stretches three four days in between towns sometimes five days in between towns and it was so uh it was such an opportunity to reflect like internally and that's sort of one of the greatest things about walking in general and, and being able to walk for years and years and years is like, I know myself so well. Um, and when you're out walking, it's sort of just like you're exposed to yourself in a way that you're not in daily life, especially in modern times. It's very easy to kind of cover up any sort of bad thoughts that you have or any thought that you don't want to have or even boredom. You can just you know, put on Netflix. You can grab a cheeseburger you can put on a podcast you can just cover yourself up in so many ways that 
it's you don't really listen to yourself and it and it's almost subtle too because when i'm when you're walking you don't really notice it happening but you're just kind of picking up memories and putting them down and you're picking up thoughts and putting them down and you do this for so long you end up seeing yourself with this really great clarity and seeing life with a uh, better clarity and so in the desert in particular when there's nothing around for like every <laughs> single day you're just basically on this bluff with like the wind of your thoughts blowing in your face all the time and unless you know you're standing in a you know a very like right against the wind and like your thoughts are very clear everything in your mind has to be sort of in order or else you just spiral down into you know either a fog or darkness or whatever it is and so you end up getting your thoughts nice and clear so like when i look back i think those months in the desert uh were were really really powerful and and also i need it you need it months too I don't, I don't think even a month or two months would be enough to kind of go through your thoughts it was that was a year and a half and then kind of five months on top of it and uh, yeah looking back at that was uh and and just like the nights there too added on top of that every night to go to bed and you have you know, hundred thousand stars over your head. And so yeah. that also just is like a nice punch in the gut reminder. It's like, dude, <laughs> you're nothing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I trying. Think, to... I don't think there's many people, at least in the last few hundred years that have had that kind of mental clarity, that, uh, that opportunity to just be bored for so long. And I love that, that description of picking up thoughts and putting them back down. Uh, it's it's a great way to think about how we as humans generally think. And you're right. I mean, most people just, when they get a nasty thought in their head or a thought that's unwanted, they'll like pick up their phone and scroll through Instagram to forget about that thought. And we have, we've, there's so, there's a lack of mental clarity right now that I think it would be beneficial for anyone to just sit down for a day and do like a silent retreat. Yeah. yeah. We could have a whole conversation on this. Just travel we in could. general, I think is a, yeah. is a solution to most people's uh, problems. Um, like anywhere, go see the Eiffel Tower. But uh, <laughs> did, did you, did you journal while you did this? Yeah. For years, I journaled pretty religiously um, and it sort of died off towards the end just because it became very much, almost like a job at a certain point. And I've been doing it for so long, especially after Azerbaijan, when I returned to Turkey, mm -hmm. it was just, I'd already been here, just kind of like going through the motions. And, but yeah, I kept very detailed, detailed journals for a while. So, so something that I'm really curious about are, are the thoughts that you had as you traveled from New Jersey through the United States down into South, South America. And you saw the transition of culture and environment, uh, infrastructure, all of these things change. And before you know it, you're in the Andes by yourself with a dog and a sled. And like, I'm trying to fathom for months, man, for months. And so I'm just trying to, to fathom years. where- that was, that was two years. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting, again, like looking back and seeing- sort of just like how subtle the changes are over time and there, uh -huh. there's points where it feels very dramatic when you cross the border when i first crossed from texas into mexico that was very dramatic that's the right. first time i was walking abroad and mexico can be especially the border towns actually just border towns in general 
especially in between like a developing country and a developed country can be super chaotic places. There's a lot of trade happening there. And so that was a really a big shock. But I think in general, I didn't realize like how green and naive I was at the beginning and how much of just like a fool I was. I don't know if I'd walk central. I, I don't know if I'd walk central America again, but you, I just had to be an idiot to do it and yeah. to set off and just kind of have this, you know, uh, this wonderful ignorance about me. Yeah. Well, I think even in your infographic, you have like your, your first star in Mexico is the border crossing. And then your second one is warnings from everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and then fast forward two months and you've got a knife at your neck in Panama. Yeah, that was, that was good times. <laughs> How'd that happen? How'd that happen? Well, that was, that was my last day of walking in, in Central America. And so I was about... Intentionally or was that a decision after? <laughs> uh, no, day? that's a good question. <laughs> that's, uh, that was intentionally. Uh, I, I, you know, in between Central and South America, you have the Darien Gap, uh, which is like brackish jungle kind of controlled by narco traffickers and just a lot of illicit trade. And uh, there's no roads through there. So it's like, I'm not that kind of adventurer. I can't do that. I'm not like paramilitary or anything. And so I, the plan was always end in Panama City, then fly into Colombia. And so what the last day in Panama City, I'm like three miles from this Airbnb I have booked. I come to this little bodega and I sit down and entering Panama City was really sketchy. And the, the outskirts of the city were very sketchy. I remember passing, uh, going through this alleyway in between these uh, highways and there's this like sofa there and there's three guys sitting there. The one guy's just like polishing a shard of glass. I'm like, what's up? <laughs> just like, keep going. It was so sketchy. And then like continually just very, very sketchy neighborhood. And this is also after, like when you travel, you get better at adjusting for, is this actually a bad area or is it just, you know, a little bit poorer of an area? And that's just something that comes the more you travel this was actually a bad area, not just like a poor area. And so I get through, I think I get through that area and I'm exhausted because that was about two hours of just being kind of like hyper vigilant. And I sit down and some guy must've followed me and I'm sitting there and I'm texting my dad, happy birthday. And then like, I feel something cold on my neck. And I look up and there's this guy, red eyed, like scraggly hair, couple cuts on his face and and I jump up and start cursing at him and then he's yelling at me and I sort of get backed into the shop and as I get back in the shop another guy came it was actually a team job so another guy came grabbed my backpack and the other guy took off amazingly though there happened to be cops right there and they got the guy immediately with my backpack like immediately as soon as he grabbed it they got him like a hundred feet away and so oh, I like wow. I go back out and have my have my passport in there. It had Savannah's paperwork in there. I would have been Ooh. screwed otherwise. But like come out after this guy had been holding the knife to me, and I see the cops literally throwing this guy against a brick wall, and my backpack my backpack laying on the ground. And so I just got super lucky. What was Savannah doing during all this? She was tied up to the cart, but I, I don't think she even knew what was going on anyway. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm I'll curious. The end. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> And you're here to tell the story. That's it. Um, I'm curious. Uh, with all of uh, 22,000 miles at this point, how many pairs of shoes have you gone through? 
Uh, I, I used to keep track of that. I lost count. Maybe generally they're last to say 700 ish miles. I could push them probably longer. Some I was able to turn over after 500 or so. Um, and yeah, so probably maybe 40 pairs, something like that. Wow. Did you have a, give a preference? Yeah, Brooks, always Brooks, Cascadia. Uh, they're, they're, I think it's a, I think they're great shoes, but also I think it's made just like a personal preference for me. This, I've tried other shoes and when you're walking in shoes that even if they don't fit like by a hair, I end up losing toenails or getting terrible blisters. Ooh. So I just like, these shoes work. I'm just going to wear them. And so I always, I wore one pair of Brooks all through Algeria. Tunisia all the way up Italy until I had a friend visiting me who could bring me another one. And these things, these shoes were just so shot by the end, just totally the laces were barely holding this thing together. Oh, that's awesome. I will say uh, my wife and I are both Brooks. Yeah. They're oh, the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the other thing related to shoes in Panama or in Costa Rica, uh, you were there in, in March and your soles melted off? Yeah, I had a really junky pair of shoes that I'd gotten from a shop there. And it was, okay. every day it was maybe 100 degrees and then 100% humidity, something like that. It was the hottest, wow. still the hottest place I've ever been. It was brutal. And so I'd wake up at 4 a.m. and I'd walk until maybe 10 a.m. And then after that, it was just physically impossible to be out there it's just no wind all humidity all heat and yeah after just like a couple days with these shoes uh, they were held together by adhesives and slowly like they start like the bottoms just like start sliding and the next thing i know it's just like the soles of the shoes are off and i'm just basically walking you know barefoot <laughs> oh my gosh dude. yeah that's yeah I, I wanted to save this question for the end but i think with the melting shoes it might be appropriate did you ever think about giving up no not in not in like the way kind of all, all the physical stuff is easy when you want something and so all of that was just like bumps in the road basically just like mm -hmm. all right, these are obstacles and we just push past them and so they when you have that long view of something like doing one task is easy and even if it's difficult because then you get through it and then you're a little bit closer and maybe the next day is a little easier. Um, when it got difficult was, and I could go on a very long tangent about the bacteria infection I had, but ultimately I, after I recovered and when I had this, actually when I had this bacteria infection, it was really, really painful. I mean, 24 hours a day, I was in a lot of pain. I would sleep like two hours a night and having these stomach spasms. So I was just in, the, in a lot of pain for a long time with this. And when I got back to walking, like my physical, physically, I came back somewhat quickly, but I was having these dark thoughts that I never really had before. And, and not, I guess not even dark, but all my thoughts just sort of turned pessimistically or turned negatively. And it just made me sort of nasty and nasty to myself and just, just like bitter. And so I'd walked 90 days down from Denmark to San Sebastian, Spain. And then when I was in San Sebastian, Spain, I was in the city that I couldn't afford waiting for a visa. I didn't know anyone there. And I'm just having these, you know, just really nasty kind of mean thoughts. And so at that point, that was the most difficult, I'd say, because it was all mental where 
I was just not in a good place. And it wasn't until I was able to get onto uh, the Camino de Santiago, the visa came again, the Camino de Santiago, and I had this community of walkers around me for the first time and only time I've ever had. And that really helped like lift me out of this kind of dark place that I was in and, you know, helped me on my way to starting Africa. And so, yeah, I mean, when I never really thought of, of stopping, but there were points, especially in San Sebastian, where I was just like, what am I doing out here? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm curious, as uh, kind of a good segue, what were some of your expectations before you started? I would say I didn't, I honestly, I don't think I had many expectations and that was kind of by design as well. Um, it's kind of like what you look for, you find, and I didn't want to look for anything. I just wanted to let it come to me. I would say one of the things that surprised me though, was just when in your mind, when you imagine a place, I'm certain you guys have had this as travelers, but you imagine a place before you go there. And especially when you're new to traveling and then you get there and you're like, Oh, this is just like a place. (laughs) And like, I'm here and it's, you know, this is cool or the desert is crazy or the jungle is wild, but it's like, Oh, this is just a place and same rules of physics and everything else. uh, So I, I remember for a while before leaving Carl Bush's photo of Carl Bushby in the Peruvian desert. And it's like such an epic photo. And then being there, then like, well, I'm here. And it not like in my mind, it like before thinking how wild and insane it would be. And I'm there and it is, it's wild and insane to have walked all that way. But at the same time, just like you, you're, you adapt so quickly to a place where then it just becomes the new normal for you, especially mm-hmm. walking as well. When you're not flying into a place, you can get like maybe some culture shock, but when you're walking and transitioning slowly, just one place into the next and it becomes very normal. That's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I always have fun with the thought process that I'm here right now. And all the places I've ever been are sort of going on just as they were when I was there. And like, if you go back, you just drop yourself right back into it. I don't know. It's, it's a weird sensation to, yeah, to, to yeah. think of the world like that. But so as you're walking, as you're knocking countries out of the way and you're reflecting on your experiences, um, were you learning anything? Like, did you take anything with you in regards to the people or the culture that really, that you felt was pretty profound? Yeah, there's, I would say, I mean, the, the overarching thing, it, it very much just reaffirmed what I sort of already believed from my father, who was a very humanistic person, uh, but just that 99.9% of people, almost everyone is a good person. Um, and just, I mean, the only one, you want a couple of things in life, you know, you want to be with your family, you want to have someone to share your life with, and you, you want to make some money so you don't have to worry about you know, losing your house or whatever it is. And that's very universal. Um, But what I think really sunk home though, is before all this traveling, I had a pretty vague interest in the world or maybe very little at all. Um, But yeah, I would say vague is probably the best way to describe my interest of the world. Uh, And now it's like, I read The Economist every day because it's this great global magazine and they have articles on Myanmar and articles on, you know, say, yeah, the coup there or on Japan's economy or whatever it is. And what, what I've really realized, which I think most people anyway understand intellectually, but 
what I understand from having been in these places and seeing the different ways people live and, and reading about each place that I go through is just how much of a place is just defined by sort of its history and its geography uh, and maybe a couple bad actors in their history or a couple noble actors in the history. Um, I mean, perfect example, like George Washington stepping down from office rather than staying in power. And, you know, maybe he could have, he could have stayed in power. There's nothing that said he couldn't, you know, preside for longer than two terms, but he did. And he set that norm kind of thing. And that like kind of affects the whole course of history. Um, and so you just look country after country and it's really interesting just to see these confluences of, of uh, historical cultures passing through them and how it affects them. And so I don't know if it's like this one thing that I've learned, I guess, or it's like very profound, but it, it just reaffirms that, you know, pretty much people are everywhere. And, you know, when you look at a place, you got to there's a lot of very large factors that you need to consider as to, you know, why this country is the way it is. And also like, what is the best system to give people the best lives? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I, I like the idea of viewing culture as this evolutionary process and it's constantly shifting and changing. And even though we're living it and it seems stagnant at times and like definitive, like it's never changing. This is how it's going to be it's going to continue to evolve and borders are going to continue to shift and change and flow. And as people migrate, so do cultures, right? And, and it's this, it's this larger body uh, kind of evolving. Add to that, it's not just the culture, but it's technology. Like I, I thought about that. I had this thought as I was driving home today because I saw a very old couple in a very new car. And I was like, I wonder if they thought 45 years ago that they would be driving that car today in this very changed landscape from what they grew up in and what but is there a realization that change is happening all the time and that you're going to have a very different experience in 10 years than you did right now or 10 years prior and i don't know I, i think people are just like as you said you go from landscape to landscape city to city and it is a it's a gradual change and you adapt quickly to it. So yeah, when you, when you look back from where you started, the change is immense, but those little steps, like each day, those changes are extremely subtle and you don't notice anything. And then you look back 10 years ago and you're like, holy cow, how did I get here? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes to, uh, I don't know the argument of just, you know, uh, the whole walk in general, I'd say maybe actually maybe this is a great lesson from the walk is that that I learned and that is very real for me is that you just walk as much as you can in one day and then be satisfied with it. And that adds up into something bigger. And just like you said, speaking of culture moving slowly, technology moving slowly, and in your own life, you know, do a little bit of work every day, do what you can every day, and then try again the next day. Yeah. Sound <laughs> advice, man. So um, I also want to ask, why we're here if you could go back and do it over is there anything um one or two things you don't need to go into too much detail but things that you might change or do differently i would definitely store my photos better at the beginning because <laughs> i had no idea what i was doing then i was totally had zero interest in photography i was just taking photos you know, happenstance and had no idea how to store them so i don't know where a lot of photos are which is really a shame well, I will say 
on the photo subject, I love that you just put all of your photos. We, Elliot and I talked about this when we were looking at your site because it's just a photo dump and it just comes off, comes off as way more authentic than these Photoshopped pictures that you see when people tend to go on vacation. Like this is just you taking pictures and dumping, dumping them all. There's, you know, random roadways and buildings and signs of people, food. It seems pretty awesome. I, I really like the way you did it. It's real. It like lets us get into your into your mind, or I guess into the your shoes. You know what it is? I don't feel like it's the highlights. I feel like it's everything. It's, yeah, a lot more than that. That's what it's. That's what it was supposed to be. So that's good. Yeah, that's not to say though. I did try and make it all the highlights, but I just couldn't <laughs> because I wasn't in you know crazy places. Sometimes I was just in a very boring place, and gotta take a photo of that too. Yep. 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 I do want to, so with that discussion about uh, cultures changing, I, I love this quote and it's from, it's from Kung Fu Panda. Uh, it's a uh, master Uwe is comment that it, the quote is yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery and today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Very nice. It is, it's it, like a combo of a couple quotes, right? Yeah, That's nice. it, it is. It's a solid, it's a solid quote. Mm -hmm. Very real quote. Very good one. Very deep. You can you dissect yeah. that one. And it's Kung Fu Panda. For quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think maybe one of the last questions I want to ask. A, a lot of people on the that listen are, are younger. They're just getting started. They're trying to learn how to travel themselves. Um, oftentimes the guests that we have on can give insight on airline miles and going to Italy and uh things that are not quite as extensive as this trip. However, some people might want to follow in similar footsteps to yours, pun intended. Um, it, for those people, what advice would you have? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it uh, depends on um, their own situation, but I would say, you know, one of the main things is, like I said at the beginning, if you really want to travel, then you got to be willing to sacrifice some stuff. Uh, in the certain sense of you're not going to live in the same luxury that you are when you're at home with your parents. It's just by default kind of thing. And that's what it's about when you're having an adventure. I mean, go out there and you know live off of rice and beans and stay in some crappy hostels, maybe just camp under a bridge a few times. And it's about the, it's about the experience. And so I wouldn't be turned off by maybe not having enough money because there's always ways to make money and people will help you along the way. Uh, for myself personally, I, I did save for years and I paid off student loans. So I think if you can somehow work and, and pay off your debts, it's much easier, much less stressful. Uh, but yeah, in general, I'd say just, just go for it. Nothing else to do, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and something I guess I want to go back to that you did, that you said earlier on was when we were talking about the physical obstacles that you dealt with as you were traveling <clears throat> and how you didn't let them deter you from, from your trip. You, you dealt with them as obstacles that you had to overcome as part of the experience. And I think that's really important for someone to take on an experience like this where things will inevitably go wrong. We talk about international travel in general the normal two-week vacation where you have to deal with things going wrong and you're going to have to overcome things that didn't go according to your expectations. This, you know, to, to be able to plan something like this out and have it go according to your expectations for the entire five years would be insane to think that happens, to, to, to think that could happen. And so for someone to take something 
like this on again, you would have to go into it realizing that you're going to go in with one idea of what you want reality to be as you're experiencing it and then expect like real actual reality to just come in and derail that and be okay with it. And um, seems like that's what you did. I'm fascinated. Uh, you, you write in a book or doing a documentary or anything? Cause that's, yeah. I, I, I gladly read it. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I'm actually, um, this morning I was working on the proposal. So putting that together and we'll see, see if I can get it to an agent or whatever, but I, I did want to touch on, on go back to that point real quick because I think it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, when I first started, uh, my tire was popping all the time kind of thing. And every time it would pop before I figured out a more permanent solution, I would like lose my mind. I would be so frustrated. Like, <laughs> God, I'm just like, this is getting me off my timeline. I need to keep moving. And eventually like, it happened so many times. Just like, all right, well, you know, like you got to do this thing. This is what you have to do now. And so you sit there, just do it real chill out, you know, but I, I think in general uh, and, but traveling is such a good it's such a good lesson in yeah, like not setting expectations for life or for travel or, or maybe even too high of expectations for yourself. Um, but I always think of this sort of, this is how I frame it at least, is that like when you came out of the womb and you started life, no one gave you a contract and said, hey, this life is going to be like this and this and this and this. You have no idea what life is. This is your first time here. This is all of our first times here. So if your bag gets robbed in Italy or, you know, your shoes melt off in Costa Rica or you're camped under palm trees or wherever you are kind of thing or anything goes wrong, I think, I think it's very healthy and it's good to look at it in the sense of just like, oh, so, so this is life. I didn't know that before. And to, to approach it in a sort of curiosity and that yeah. adds a lot of resilience when you can reframe all of life as this new thing that you're discovering. Well, I, I want to... I want to continue this conversation because it's oh, let's keep it going. Yeah, this is this is where it's getting really interesting because I think in our daily lives we have routine in our and our immediate circle is very controlled. Like our work is controlled. Our I mean, in the U.S. at least we have laws and regulations that make everything very controlled. And when stuff goes out of control, you feel like you did something wrong because you weren't able to contain it. And Travel is a perfect vehicle, pun intended there, to get yourself and realize that there is a very limited control in life and part of life is just rolling with the punches. And I guess experiencing things, sometimes it's reacting, sometimes it's being proactive, but it is just uh, living life as it comes. Yeah. 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 I think traveling is a great lesson for that. Yeah. The, the, this is a quote from Matthew McConaughey, but the bar stool and bourbon way of saying that is just dealing with dealing the cards you were dealt um or the have you are you, are you familiar with amor fati tom no, that expression no. so it's a love of fate it's latin it's something that uh like the roman stoics would often quote and say and it's essentially that when you're dealt obstacles not only do you have to accept them but you take them on you know i love it this is my fate i will tackle it i will overcome it and i'm taking it head on not just accepting it going beyond that yeah that's nice that's nice yeah, yeah. sounds yeah. very motivating yeah. yeah yeah i'm feeling motivated right now <laughs> going right into the weekend all right tom so so um we are going to go into a rapid fire round now but before okay. we do we want to give you the opportunity to share all your your social media your website anywhere you want people to follow you to learn more um and then 
and then we'll get right into it. So yeah, what do you have going on? Uh, yeah, it's just the world walk across the platforms. Probably Instagram is the best way. That's where my uh, most thoughtful stuff is. So yeah, the world walk. Follow you on Instagram and um, we might be expecting a book sometime in the future. Yes. Yeah. Hi, um, and our, in our show notes, we do have the link to the world walk infographic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a good resource. Highly, it paints a good picture. Yeah. yeah, highly recommend that for anybody listening that wants to learn more about this walk. All right, all right. right. I'll get, a, get it started. Go so for it. just whatever comes to your mind, it doesn't have to be one word uh, and just answer freely. So Roger. what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Uh, freedom. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like that one. Uh, what travel book has had the biggest influence on your life? Oh man, travel, but probably into the wild, into the wild, yeah, which is, nice. which is interesting. Cause I don't really, I feel, I feel very opposite to, um, to Alexander Supertramp. I think he sort of spurned or felt spurned by the world. And I yeah. kind of went out to embrace it. Yeah. I, I think that's an interesting, uh, analysis there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with you. Uh, all right. Number three, from these options, what aspects of travel have the biggest impact? influence or impact on your experiences so that's history architecture food people or environment Ooh, environment man. being like natural beauty mm, uh i would say environment probably first and then um architecture and then people okay yeah all right i like it yeah tell us one thing travelers should not do uh don't be a jerk. Don't like presume you're always in the right in this country. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very straightforward. Yeah. And what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago? Uh, take better notes. Yeah, take better notes. Dude, your infographic is like <laughs> spot on. Yeah. <laughs> you can always do better. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's just like, uh, it's, I think it's now like I'm thinking about this book. I'm like, oh my God, I should have just like been writing down details every single day. And now I'm now I'm really hypercritical of the notes I was taking. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Tom, thanks for coming on the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was really nice talking to you guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, listening back to this while I walk and get a little ego boost. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you're listening to this, be sure to follow Tom on social media and check out that infographic. Yeah. And make sure you listen to your advice next walk you take. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Pleasure, guys. I think the most interesting part of this conversation I mean, the whole thing was very interesting. The, the concept of walking across the world, it seems like other people have done it, which I didn't know. Uh, but the idea of, or his realization of how much time he had to think and reflect on his life and the things that have happened in his life and what he wants to do with his life when he gets, when he completes his walk and yeah. how little we actually sit and reflect and think about things as a society. Yeah. So I, I, I love this topic, right? I just finished a book called Stillness is the Key. Shout out. The author is Ryan Holiday. Phenomenal book if any, for anyone interested. But something that really strikes me from this conversation is, yeah, so he had, he had the experience. He had the time to reflect. He journaled about it. And now he is talking about writing a book. And so for someone like you and I, Elliot, the best, we're never going to travel like he just did, right? I, I mean, I know I'm not. I don't think you are. Maybe you will. But 
Who knows? The closest, well, the closest we'll get to experiencing the world like he did is by reading his book. And the fact that he, he did spend so much time reflecting and considering those experiences. I can't wait to read that. Uh, and, and kind of travel through his eyes, through his thoughts or whatever, yeah. you know, his, his reflection. So yeah, great conversation, really interesting stuff. I mean, what a, what a unique way to travel the world. So really Definitely. looking forward to that. Awesome guy. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for listening. And if you love the show and want to support us, you can do so by leaving us a review on iTunes or any other podcast platform. You can contribute to us through Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can purchase anything from Manscaped using the code TTB at checkout, which gives you 20% off. We do have our own merchandise through Redbubble and TeePublic. And uh, if you can share this with friends and family, that would be very grateful, or we would be very grateful for you doing that. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy, and have a great 2022.